We are now to a section in Scripture that is powerful and clear. I marvel at our Lord as he deals with Pharisees. Jesus turns the lights on to false religion of his day. It is very interesting that Jesus reserves his hardest rebuke for the religious people of his day. Jesus warned, hell is more fierce for the religious ones who reject Jesus. And then in Luke chapter 10, we saw that. He said, I say to you, it will be more tolerable in that day for Sodom than for that city. And the idea was that he was talking about those that rejected their Messiah and their religious unbelief. We'll talk about that in a little bit. Religious unbelief. They were going to suffer a hotter hell than the ones in Sodom that had rejected God and been outright blatantly wicked. You read Sodom and Gomorrah. And you read the story there. There's no doubt in your mind that they were wicked people, right? I mean, you can't doubt that. Read it. But he says it will be more tolerable for them than the religious city that rejects their Messiah. Jesus holds his strongest words of rebuke for those that are religious Those who clean up the outside of the cup, but have wicked hearts. Why? Why does he hold the strongest rebuke for the religious ones? Well, it has everything to do with our hearts and their hearts. Motives, motives, motives. A question that I often like to ask you. Why do we do what we do? What's the reason behind what we do? Why did you come to church this morning? Why did you sing that last song? Why did you give your money to the church? Why did you buy your wife some flowers this week? If you bought your wife some flowers this week. Why did you work hard for your employer this week? Why did you wash the laundry this week? Why did you speak up in class at University of South Florida? Why did you stay quiet in class when somebody was saying something wrong? Why did you eat that extra plate of food? Why did you drink and drink and drink what you drank, whether it's alcohol or not? Why did you drink 10 cups of soda? Why did you avoid that conversation with that person? Why did you invite that person over? The way we answer these questions reveals a lot about our heart. Our motives reveal whether we are truly in love with God and whether we truly understand who we are. Today we're going to see Jesus confronts the legalist's heart. A legalist is a person 
who out of their own pride seeks to establish a standard by which he can obtain favor from God and approval from men by his achievements. Did you see that? You need to get it. It's a person who out of their own pride seeks to establish a standard by which he can obtain favor from God and approval from men by his own achievements. A legalist is someone who seeks to achieve favor from God by his own personal accomplishments. Today we're going to see Jesus exposes a Pharisee. The Pharisee, and he exposes all of the Pharisees that are his fellow false religious people. Today we're going to see Jesus says, look at who you really are. Let me show you what your heart's all about. The Pharisees of Jesus' day were the ultimate legalists of his day. They were known by everybody as the most religious people. They were the ones that if they walked by, people would give them a special recognition. You are a holy one. Wow. Give great honor and praise to the religious ones. We will see, however, religion without right motives is self-worship, not true worship. Religion without right motives is self-worship, not true worship. So this is huge for all of us. For some of this, for some of us rather, this is a call to true repentance and belief in Jesus. This is a call to humbly cry out to God to save you and stop trying to justify yourself before God. For others of us in this room, It's a call to continue to recognize your propensity to be a legalist. That's everybody in here. Jerry Bridges said it this way, and it's a great little phrase. We are all legalists by nature. Everybody in this room by nature is a legalist. He's right. We are... Even if we are born again, prone to this problem. We are born legalists, and even after being born again, we are still prone to fall back into this at any moment. If you say at this moment, you are not prone to legalism, that very statement could prove that you are a legalist. (laughs) It's amazing. People that hate legalism can also be the most legalistic. For they are elevating themselves over the legalist and their proclamation of that. Be careful. We are all prone to set standards by which we can achieve acceptance and exaltation. I'm better than the legalist. (laughs) It's almost crazy, isn't it? But it's where we go. We are all born loving ourselves. And we can fall into this at any moment. You can walk right out of this service today and fall into that same trap. Today we're going to get a glimpse into our hearts apart from God's grace. Every single one of us will do 
and say what this Pharisee does if we don't recognize the value of Jesus Christ. You must know who he really is and what he has done. And you must know who you are apart from him. So, we will see in our passage today, the legalist exposed and the legalist is warned. The legalist is exposed and the legalist is warned. Let's look first. The legalist is exposed. It's found in verses 37 to 41. The setting for this exposure is found in verses 37 and 38. Look at the words. Now when he, this is Jesus, had spoken, a Pharisee asked him to have lunch with him. He went in and reclined at the table. When the Pharisee saw it, he was surprised, literally shocked, that he had not first ceremonially washed before the meal. Jesus goes to a meal at the Pharisee's house. The motive of the Pharisee's invitation could be found in that opening little phrase, now when he had spoke, or when he had spoken. Literally, when Jesus had finished speaking, the Pharisee asked him to eat with him. Something Jesus had said must have provoked in the Pharisee to invite him over. Remember, we just saw that Jesus has been calling on them to examine themselves. Jesus was saying that they needed to reevaluate how they were responding to him. They had said that he was casting out demons by Beelzebub, right? Now he's saying, look at your heart. And what does a Pharisee do? Well, Jesus was telling them that they were all wrong and were going to face judgment for how they were rejecting him. So this Pharisee, as soon as Jesus finishes, could have thought very simply, Okay, let me just see who this guy is. Let me invite him over, and let me see what's wrong with him so that I can see that I'm actually a pretty good guy and deserve no judgment. So he goes into it. After he finishes speaking, come on over. Let me see you. Come hang out with me so I can pick out your faults. (laughs) So I can justify my actions. (laughs) So I can see I'm really actually better than you. For a religious person who prides themselves in being righteous in the view of all people, to be called wrong was a slap in the face. This Pharisee didn't want to hear that he was wrong, didn't want to hear that he was evil, didn't want to hear that he deserved judgment. So the Pharisee probably, when he finishes, says, come on over, come on over, I want to see you. Hang out with me so I can justify myself. The message of the Pharisee was always this. Who do you think you are, Jesus? I'm more righteous than you. (laughs) The legalist says, okay, I hear your words. I bet I can find something in your life that shows that you're wrong and you're probably even more wicked than me. That's what the religious person does, the Pharisee. Let me see if I can find something in your life. Oh, yeah, I'm better than that. Look at me. And as we see in this next verse, that's exactly what the Pharisee does. When Jesus reclines and eats with him, look what he does. It's shock and outrage, verse 38. 
when the Pharisees saw it, he was surprised oh, that he had not first ceremonially washed before the meal. It's literally this ceremonially washed is where we get our word baptized. It's not this idea of hygiene, hygiene folks. This is The Pharisees had a long, complex way of cleaning everything, making sure to clean up any part that might have touched the unclean world. They had to look really good. So it wasn't just going to the sink and getting a little bit of soap. It was purification. Look at me. I'm pure. I've walked into the house. I'm no longer a part of that evil world. It doesn't touch any part of me. I'm better than the world. That's what they'd say when they finished their washing. Look at me. I'm clean. Jesus sits down. Hey, thanks. <laughs> what? You didn't clean your hands. What about your feet? Notice how Jesus then exposes this man. Three severe Statements are made in verses 39 to 41. And again, he holds no punches, man. This is like he puts the brass knuckles on and lays him out. Jesus exposes the wickedness of the religious Pharisee with three severe statements. But the Lord said to him, Now you Pharisees, Clean the outside of the cup and of the plate or platter, but inside of you, you are full of robbery and wickedness. You foolish ones, did not he who made the outside make the inside also? But give that which is within as charity. Then all things are clean for you. We see here, Jesus gives severe statements, calling on this Pharisee and all of the Pharisees to look at your heart. Know who you are really. He starts with a revelation in verse 39 in his severe statements. He says, now you Pharisees, clean up the outside of the cup and of the platter. Again, we see here Jesus uses metaphorical language. Jesus compares the Pharisee with dirty dishes. The comparison is between the life and the heart of the religious elite compared to dirty dishes. He's comparing dishes to a heart. Notice Jesus does not only reveal this Pharisee's heart, but he generalizes and says, you Pharisees. So he just broad brushed and said, all religious Pharisees are in this category. He just whacked everybody. That was the religious elites of the day. This condemnation was for all the religious elites of Jesus' day. He says to the Pharisees, he says, You are clean on the outside, but wicked on the inside. Again, he's revealing their motives. The motives of their heart is the problem, not the way they look on the outside. The Pharisees were the monks of Jesus' day, or the nuns of Jesus' day. They were highly devoted to external religion. I had a great opportunity this week to once again look back on the period of the Reformation. You know, Monday was a huge holiday, right? It's Reformation Day. It's the day that 
Martin Luther nailed the 95 Theses onto the door of the Wittenberg Castle and proclaimed that Rome had missed it and that we are saved by faith or by grace through faith and that we can't purchase our way to God. I had a great opportunity to look and think on him and read some and uh, study Luther this week again. I love to do it every year. Luther described himself before his real conversion. He said these words. It's very interesting. If ever a monk got to heaven by monkery, I would have gotten there. In other words, if there was ever anybody that kept all the monk duties to get to heaven, I kept them all. Luther kept the smallest details of discipline. No one surpassed him in prayer, fasting, night watches, self-mortification. Luther was already held up by the other monks as in his monastery as the model of sanctity. This is him, Luther. They looked at him and said, oh, this guy, this is the greatest of monks. Clean. And he said, it was Filthy in the inside. And he said, I hated the righteousness of God. I hated the righteousness of God. Why? Because he came to understand that God is so far holy, so more righteous than anything he could achieve. And that his heart was so wicked, there was no way. No way he could achieve a right standing with God by what he did. So he hated the righteousness of God until his conversion. Those famous words in Romans 1, 16 and 17. The just will live by faith. The declared right with God will live by faith in Jesus Christ alone. Not in his deeds. Great truth. But if there was ever a monk who got to heaven by monkery, I would have done it, is what he's saying. It's interesting how closely this is tied to the Apostle Paul's view of himself, right? The Apostle Paul says in Philippians 3.3, describing his life before coming to Christ, he says, For we are are the true circumcision who worship in the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus. And put no confidence in the flesh. Because look, then he talks about what he was before in the flesh. Although I myself might have confidence even in the flesh. If anyone else has a mind to put confidence in the flesh, I far more. That's another way of saying monk, monkery, same stuff. Circumcised the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, As to the law, a Pharisee. As to zeal, a persecutor of the church. As to the righteousness which is in the law, found blameless. People looked at the Apostle Paul before he became a believer and said, This guy is really righteous. He keeps the law perfectly. But he was dead. Sick. Much like the monks of Luther's day, the Pharisees were all about external laws. 
for the purpose of self-exaltation and self-justification. And Jesus exposes him here. He says, in effect, you make the outside look good, but your hearts are filled with robbery and wickedness inside you. You're filthy. How can we tell if this is our problem, ladies and gentlemen? How can we tell if we are a Pharisee? How do we know if we are one of these people? Well, here's how. If hiding who we really are for the purpose of elevating ourselves in front of others, that's a good clue. Expose yourself to people. Show people what you're all about. That'll show you're not really a Pharisee. How can we tell if we are not doing this? Exalt who Christ is. Minimize who you are. If you're all about elevating yourself, you're a Pharisee. If you're all about elevating Christ, your Lord. And that is not what the Pharisees did. Ultimately, it's a desire to justify ourselves before God. To say, I'm better and I deserve your blessing. That's what this Pharisee was saying. I'm better than you. I clean up. You don't. Shucking. He explains further in verse 40. You foolish ones, did not he who made the outside make the inside also? This is shocking, folks. This word foolish, it literally means senseless, silly, irrational. You are a bunch of irrational people. You're silly, is what he says about the Pharisees. The Pharisees' way of thinking was senseless. Literally, you are fools. I don't know about you. (laughs) Only Mr. T could get away with saying, you're a fool. Right? You remember that? I pity the fool. There you go. I think Mr. T could say that. Jesus, man, he whacks them. You fools. You fools. You're senseless. Ignorant. He's talking to the most religious people of the day. The cleanest. The religious ones. You fools. You're stupid. The word fits. Don't repeat it, kids. The question Jesus asks assumes the answer. Of course so. Of course God made both the outside of the body and the inside. Of course he did. The idea is, is Jesus says, God is concerned with what we think about him on the inside. Not just how good we make ourselves look on the outside. Everyone in here, folks, has the ability to clean up the outside of the cup. You all do. Every one of you. But none of us has the ability to clean up the inside of your cup. You can't clean your heart up. What do you need? Jesus. You need him. You need his cleansing power. You need him to transform your heart. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. He is the one that cleans hearts, not you. 
Look at these people. How devoted and religious they are. Can't really see it. The picture on the left is, I should have cut it out. These are steps in Rome. What they're doing is climbing up on their knees. And the bloodier their knees looked, and the worse they looked as they climbed and groveled, if they did it on their elbows and their knees, they look more religious. They're trying to achieve a religious status. And this is happening right now today in Rome. People trying to achieve a religion and look good in God's eyes. If I do this, maybe God will let me into heaven a little sooner and I won't be in purgatory quite as long. I won't burn under the fires. If I'll just grovel and bleed and mortify my body, then I'll be more righteous. This is proud arrogance. You are lowering the level of God's righteousness down to a level that you can achieve. This is religious pride and hypocrisy acting. And it goes everywhere. Look at them. They look clean, don't they? Extremely clean, gold, everything, white, clean people trying to achieve a right standing with God by external means. Hypocrite. Taking the mask. Look at them. Look how holy they are. Religious duty, seeking to earn his favor, not honor him. If I eat that little piece of bread, I'm going to get me to God. Garbage. Blasphemy. Wrong view of God. High view of mankind. This is what Martin Luther said. There's another one. Oh, he didn't have the white outfit on now. He has the he has a suit on. Suit and tie. Quote unquote evangelical church. Garbage. Clean on the outside, wicked and wretched on the inside. The scary thing is, folks, it can look like this too. Yeah, it's me. It's blurry, I'm sorry. I looked all night for a picture of me. It's me. Got my coat and tie on in the ballroom over there. 
my heart is not right. My heart does not have God's glory and love for others in mind. I can fall right back into it. And you can too. At any moment, I can think highly of myself. I'm up here preaching and y'all are, the crowds are growing and things are amazing and God is doing amazing things and it'd be real easy. There's times where I come down from here and I feel like I'm on fire. Like, man, God, your word's all over me. Man, this is amazing. And he is. But if I boast in myself, I'm no better than Joel Osteen or the Pope. By the way, listen to me. This is that Pharisee. That's what he was about. It can happen when I look like this, too. This is just T-shirt. The heart can be wicked and self-centered and self-focused no matter what you're wearing. Even if you attempt to clean up and say, well, I'm not going to put a tie on because if I put a tie on, then I'll be like the legalist. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm not going to take a tie. I'm not going to put that on because I'm better than the legalist. That could be just as bad. I'm going to do it. Come here. Come here. Perfect example. Couldn't help it. Don't. (laughs) Could not pick two better examples, could you? (laughs) Brothers. They love each other. One's got the tie and coat on. The other has the jeans and nice plaid shirt. It doesn't matter what it looks like on the outside. At any moment, their hearts can turn to self-exaltation. Thanks, guys. Didn't even have to say <laughs> So whether I take my tie off, I was thinking about doing this, taking my tie off and coat and having a shirt on that said, uh, um, I'm the wretch This so- the song is about. That's my only T-shirt. I like to wear it until it's dead. <laughs> I'm wearing it a lot. If I did that, that's the Pharisee. Do you understand? Your externals, what you do with the outside. The bigger smile you have, the more you do, that's not what it's about. It's your heart. God is interested about the mind, the heart, what you're thinking about, your motives, what you meditate on. We think about what we think about in the quiet times when nobody's around. That'll expose you, right? How many of you would like the worst part of your week last week, the worst thought you have, to go ahead and be popped up on the screen? Okay, here we go. David Spratz thought this thought. None of us want that, do we? Jesus isn't concerned with your outward is concerned with your heart. 
God made the inside and the outside. What does God think of your heart? If you're like me at this point, you should be extremely, extremely convicted. You should be thinking inside, oh, man, I'm wretched. Whoa, God, you are holy. I need a Savior. I need Christ. You are my only hope. My righteousness is filthiness. Anything I do on my own is nothing. I need Jesus. The Pharisee had Jesus in his midst, in his house. And his own blasphemous hypocrisy blinded him to knowing Jesus was in the room, the God-man. And ladies and gentlemen, his presence is in this room too. He sees your heart. He knows your soul. Run to Christ Jesus. So now... Jesus continues his exposure with the exhortation. But give that which is within as charity, and then all things are clean for you. But give from within as a donation or a charitable charitable gift. I believe Jesus means, and he's going to develop it in the first woe, give with a right heart, and then you are right with God. Give with the right motives, and then you are righteous in God's eyes. Doing outward religious activities for the purpose of earning a right standing with God or men is only going to lead to death and judgment. Why do you give? Why do you do what you do, Pharisees? What are you saying? Giving to God and And giving to others with right motives from a love and a reverential fear of God. That demonstrates that you have been truly born again. That God has worked in you. If your motive is out of pure love for God and love of other people, you will give. There's no question about it. Because God has made you right. He has given you a new heart. In a new nature. If you are born again, you should want to come to church and worship the God who saved you. If you are born again, you have a new heart, and out of gratitude, you will give to others. If you are not born again, you will come to church to accomplish your religious checklist. If you are not born again, you will give your offering to either earn God's favor or earn man's approval. Again, all of us, after being born again, can slide back into this wrong thinking. But ultimately, we've been changed. We should be different. Again, all of us, even after being born again, can do this. Give not to earn favor. Folks, don't give to get God's favor. Don't give so that Pastor Mike says, oh, 
Wow, that's good, because I don't even know what you give anyway. Give not to show your generosity to others, but give because you're grateful for what Christ has done. Give from a heart that doesn't get anything back or isn't seen by people. So I can help. I, I can't help this. It, it's interesting. Mark's supposed to speak about this next week. The talk, it's talking about this, so we're going to deal with some of this. We are considering passing the plate Ooh, in our church. There's a couple of reasons. In this room right now, we have numerous visitors, and we are having a hard time keeping up with everybody. We want, you, we want to know who you are. We want to give a record. We want to send you a letter. We want to get to know you. But with this many people, we're having a hard time keeping up with it. So we know if we pass a plate, we can get you to put a little card in there maybe. It'll be five minutes, and we can get you to put it. We don't want your money. We don't care about your money. We want to tell you about Jesus. So that's one reason that we're considering doing it. Second, giving and worship for a true believer, it is worship. It's our way to acknowledge the glory of God. So, would it be time in a service, would it be good in a time of the service to have a time of worshiping God by giving? Sure. It's a good thing. Third, it's a time to teach our children what's important about giving. I love Jesus, my children, and that's why I give. I give it. Look, I'm putting this in there. Why did I do that? Because Jesus died for me. I'm a wretched sinner. This is his. After all, all of my what I have, everything, including this coat and these clothes, everything, it's his anyway. So here's my opportunity to give it. I want you all to pray about it, okay? Think about it. Well, It's really, I don't, we don't want your money. What we want is you to worship God. But either way, we all have a responsibility to examine our hearts to worship God from the heart, from grateful hearts in awe of God's glory. So give based on the heart that's been transformed by God, and it will demonstrate that you are right with God. It will show that you are clean. Give out of gratitude to the Lord. He wants your heart, and if he's got your heart, your wallet is his too. <laughs> and if he has your heart, your money, it's not your money. It's all his. But the legalist, and when the tray comes by, the legalist pulls out the trumpet. Look at me. I'm putting the envelope in. Do you see it? The legalist is all about show. By the way, you can be a legalist and give in that little white box over there too. Listen, you can give to earn favor and give in that little white box. You can think, okay, I'm going to give this. God's going to love me. 
It's going to take me to heaven. Look at me. I'm a good church guy. Giving that tithe and that right. And then there could be the double whammy. You ready? The double whammy. Here it is. Everybody. Okay. Everybody's out of the church. Nobody's in there, right? Okay. Everybody out of the room. Everybody's back in the room. Nobody's looking. did it, and nobody was looking. <laughs> Man! Woo! I don't need anybody's approval. I got yours by putting it in the box without anybody noticing. Wretchedness. Wretchedness. Not worship. Self-exaltation. Why do we give? Love and gratitude towards God. But the legalist gives to earn favor or to receive honor from others. Notice Jesus now warns the legalists in verse 42 to 44 the word woe here means Jesus is highly displeased with them and warns of coming judgment that's what the word means woe you are headed directly for the full fury of God woe judgment's coming Pharisees One lexicon put it this way. I love it. Woe means how horrible it will be for you. Woe. Judgment's coming. Pharisees. He gives three of them. But woe to you, Pharisees, for you pay tithes of mint and rue and every kind of garden herb and yet disregard justice and the love of God. But these are the things you should have done without neglecting the others. Woe to you, Pharisees, for you, have, you love the chief seats in the synagogues and the respectful greetings in the marketplaces. Woe to you, for you are like concealed tombs, and the people who walk over them are unaware of it. Man, this is about as harsh as you can be. I mean, this is bam, right across the face for every person that's thinking, I'm something special. I did it. A woe first for religious duty without right heart. But woe to you Pharisees, because you pay tithe of mint and rue and every kind of garden herb, and you disregard justice and the love of God. Folks, how horrible will it be for you Pharisees? You are running straight towards God's holy fury because of your false religious practices. Jesus gives the reason for the first row. He says, because you tithe even the smallest receivables, and yet your heart is not right. 
The Jews had been commanded in Leviticus chapter 27 verse 20 that they should tithe everything that they get. But the Jews had made it all about achievement of over-the-top man-made requirements instead of a heart condition and a desire to worship God. The extra Jewish customs were, and they said this, that you really don't have to tithe on rue and mint and every garden herb. The religious, the Mishnah, said you don't really have to tithe on those little things. I mean, let's face it. If you received a bottle of spice, okay, from a friend or a little packet of spice, should you lay it out on the table and take out the razor and cut it down into ten spaces, measure it out, and take that much little rue and mint, put it in the offering, look at me. I even tithe the smallest little bit. But the Pharisees said, nope, one more than Misha. We even do that. <laughs> we tithe on everything. Every little speck of salt we get. Look how religious we are, is what they would say. This is a case of majoring on the minors, focusing on the things that don't matter to elevate yourself. Jesus says, however, their motives were not proper. They didn't understand the justice of God. They didn't understand how righteous he was. They didn't understand that his standards were far, far, far above giving a little bit of rue and garden nerves. Come on. God's so holy that prophet Isaiah says, woe is me. I'm a man of unclean lips. I can't even come into your presence. Oh, man, I've seen God. And yet, the Pharisees thought, I can enter the presence of God because I give rue, <laughs> tenth, do it. They don't understand the justice of God. And you don't either if you think coming here is going to get you to heaven. <laughs> or doing any religious act is going to get you to heaven. Again, this is a case of religious duty without a proper view of God and a proper view of yourself. If we think our gift to God, the church can earn us favor with God, we are greatly deceived. If we think being baptized is going to keep us out of hell, we are greatly deceived. If we think coming to church or singing loudly, or speaking on the platform, or singing on stage, or any other religious activity will get you to heaven, you are greatly deceived. God's standard of righteousness is far beyond anything any of us can even comprehend. He is so righteous, so holy, that if we saw him right now, we would immediately die apart from his protection. Do you think anything you can do can stay God's just wrath on you? If so, that's a low view of God. Do you think God needs anything from you? 
Do you think that you can do anything to earn God's favor? If you do, man, you have missed it. Who are we? (laughs) We're the specks of dust. We think a little bit of cleaning up on the outside is going to get us right with God? That's nuts. Your only hope is seeing God as who he is and humbly crying out, Oh God, have mercy on me. I'm a wretched, miserable sinner apart from your grace. I need Jesus. I need you every day. All the time, I'm lost without you, hopeless without you. You're my only hope. It's your only hope. Yes, we should give. But we give because we know the love of God. Did you hear me? What is love? Love is sacrificial, utter giving, giving of yourself, laying it on the line. Nothing to me, nothing to me, but all to you. That is love. How do we give? We give knowing that he gave it all for us. We know that our righteousness is based on Jesus Christ alone. And for me to give, it's just obvious. (laughs) Who am I to say that? Anything I have is mine. That's foolish. It's foolish. It's not mine. It's his. He loved me first. So all that I have is his. But Jesus shows that their hearts are just totally, totally depraved with this second woe. A woe for seeking the approval of men. (laughs) Woe to you Pharisees. For you love the chief seats in the synagogue and the respectful greetings in the marketplaces. Man, I could have put some amazing pictures here on this one for sure. Yeah, listen, I'm an ordained Southern Baptist, but boy, I tell you what. Those seats up on the stage, they got to go. What in the world are we doing? What are we doing? We're going back right to what the Pharisees did. They made the rooms and lined the Pharisees along the back so everybody saw them. What are you doing? Crazy. Woe to you, Pharisees. Horrible. In other words, their identity is wrapped up completely in people's approval. All about what people think of me. Look at me, I'm worthy of your respect and honor. I'm religious, is what the Pharisees thought. Give me a good greeting in the marketplace because I'm a Pharisee, I'm religious. God hates this. And Jesus says, they are headed for a horrible judgment because of this attitude. The Pharisees would all be jockeying for their seat up front. Often the synagogues had the Pharisees that would sit just like this. That's one of the reasons why I absolutely hate this stage. 
I love this stage, but I hate this stage. Let me explain. I love this stage for only one reason. One reason. Only one reason. For the deaf. It's the only reason. I want everybody to be able to see what I'm saying and what Ronaldo is saying. That's the only reason why I love this stage. Other than that, I'd much rather it be about five feet shorter. And I think it's three feet. <laughs> it's not about me. It's not about being up here. Folks, if you want to be up front, then you're doing the same thing as the Pharisees. Along those lines, people who read or sing or play instruments or sing in a choir or speak up front, they must be quick to check their hearts and check their motives. Why do they want to be up here? Why do you want to be up here? No one should desire to show off their talents so people will approve them. Nobody. I don't care what you do. They should only want Christ to be exalted, right? It's about Christ. It's not about Mike. We have, me. We have a responsibility to be tran- as transparent as possible. Now, I, I know the scary thing is with me. I, if you can't tell, I get into my messages a little bit. I'm just absolutely living it up here. There's an aspect of it is, is that I don't like it. Because you might think something. Okay? You might think. I'm trying not to. I pray before I come up here. Please get me out of the way. I just want to preach it with everything that you gave me. Just don't look at Mike. Understand the passage. Understand, this is how serious Jesus wants you to take it. It's not about Mike. It's about the Word of God. And what he says to the Pharisees is what God wants you to do in your own heart. Examine it. Know where you are. Just want to warn you, ladies and gentlemen, too, by the way. Be careful of judging everyone else's motives. Looking at the people up on stage and saying, man, that person's really all about themselves. Know why? Because you're doing the same thing. You're doing the very same thing. Anytime. And I, I cannot stress this to you enough. It never ceases to amaze me. We are the worst at pointing out everybody else's faults for the purpose of exalting ourselves, Examining everybody else's motives for the purpose of exalting ourselves. It's wickedness. Stop. Be careful. It's not about people's approval. Finally, he says, Oh, woe for being an unaware dead man walking. Woe to you, for you are like concealed tombs, and the people who walk over them are unaware of it. Again, Jesus uses a comparison and compares the Pharisees to graves, tombs, 
coffins. But these were special coffins. These were the coffins that were in the unmarked graves. Then now listen to what he's getting at here. See, when somebody was wicked or wretched, known in the world, to be really wretched, not, you know, like the harlots or whatever, they would bury them in a box and put them under the ground, but they wouldn't put a marker there. That was the, that was the worst curse that they could lay on them, so that people would actually trample over their graves, saying, you are absolutely worthless, even in your death. And Jesus is saying to this Pharisee, he's saying, you're like one of those unmarked graves. Totally worthless. Useless. You're a box of dead people. Married under the ground. And people walk over you. You're useless. Man, that brass knuckles. Bam! You know what God thinks of hypocrites, actors, religious people? He hates them. He despises them. They are good for nothing. (sighs) Pretty intense, huh? Is that you? I'll tell you this. If you're anything like me, I know Christ has died for my sin and I was a wretched sinner. I did not deserve it. I know Jesus is my only hope. But I also know that there is might dying that has to happen every day. I pray that that's you. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Heavy stuff, God. Showing us just how wicked our hearts are apart from your grace. Oh, God, help us to depend on you and your righteousness and your grace, not ourselves. Help us to trust in Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, not our own achievements. Oh, God, please save. In Jesus' name, amen.